very difficult text for a very happy new year. They're making me wear this microphone. You, you, you can't even start to imagine my hatred. You heard me, my absolute hatred. But apparently it's necessary. And I'm not bitter about it. Hebrews chapter 11. This is not in the sequence of our series. We'll revisit these verses. I hope I can show you why I think these are precious texts for uh, a New Year's Eve Sunday like this. Hebrews eleven thirty nine, 39. And, and all these, and just pay attention to that because we're going to see who all these are. Though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Since God had provided something better, and this is the strange part of this text. Since God had provided something better for, look at that, for us. That's you. That apart, and this is another strange phase, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. It doesn't read right somehow. And therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him... So, so Jesus went through the same thing. The joy that was set before him. He, he wasn't experiencing it. He endured the cross. So he, was, he had this forward look. Endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's pray, church. There is uh, nothing that will set our feet on a better foundation for the new year than your word. That we would stand on it, that we would study it, that we would think about it, that we would treasure it, that we would call it to remembrance moment by moment, day by day, hour by hour. And so set something in place in the understanding of our hearts around this text that will equip us to treasure you more dearly and follow you more closely. When we pray for, we pray for Shirley Glenn Denning, who's battling pneumonia and other complications at this time, Father, would you come and just be gracious to her? Come right alongside and strengthen and restore her. May she sense the prayers of your people right now. In Jesus' name. And everyone said? Say it again. Amen. Amen. So we'll do double duty with these verses when we come to them again in our study through the book of Hebrews. We'll reach them somewhere around, you know, 2024 when we get to that text. There's a reason I pulled them together, kind of bridging the the chapters, the end of 11 and the beginning of 12. Because Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, everybody quotes it and talks about it, but it will almost... 
certainly be misunderstood without the inclusion of these really tricky words in 11, 39, and 40. How many uh, emotionally soaring exhortations have been given encouraging Christians in the perseverance in the face of trial because after all there's this great cloud of witnesses this great grandstand of onlookers the faithful who have sort of gone before and they're looking down and applauding and cheering us on and I want to try and show you today that that has very little to do with this text in spite of what you may have heard we mustn't race ahead to those opening inspiring verses of chapter 12 about this great cloud of witnesses before we know who these witnesses are who they are and why they're there because it's it's what God is up to with these witnesses that explains both the nature of the race we're in and why it requires perseverance through so much unexplained confusion, trial, suffering. So, so what do these examples of faith, those witnesses, the witnesses are that crowd listed in Hebrews chapter 11? What does the faith of those witnesses actually have to do with us? What does does Moses' unfulfilled faith have to do with Cedarview Community Church? Because that's what the text says. The the tricky words are, are found in verse 40. 39 is straightforward enough. And all these, those heroes of faith listed in the 11th chapter... All these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Okay. So, all of those saints listed in chapter 11. It says that they died still putting their faith in God's promised future fulfillment of his plan. They all died looking forward in hope. But none of them arriving at the goal of their journey. And and so... And so we naturally admire their uh, endurance, their ruggedness, their persistence. That's important. But then, but then verse 40, it just seems to twist things around, making, making the meaning of 39 and 40, when you read them together, it makes it very hard to understand what is being talked about. Look at it if you have a Bible. I hope you do. But when you read 39 and 40 together, and all of these, okay, we know who they are in chapter 11, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. That much is easy. But then 40, since, or there's a reason why they didn't receive what was promised. That's what since means. Since, Since God had provided something better for us. That, that apart from us. 
they should not be made perfect. And that just doesn't read right. It seems like it should say, and, and all these, 39, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had something better for them. Doesn't that make more sense? God, God didn't grant their full reward in this earthly life because, because he had a city with enduring foundations. He had a better promise for all of them. Their reward wasn't here. After all, the, the writer of Hebrews already told us Abraham, while he lived here, was looking forward to the city that has foundations. 1110, whose designer and builder is God. That... <coughs> Excuse me. That we can understand. It would just make sense. They all died in the faith without receiving the promise because, well, because God had something better for them. Something eternal for them. Only it's not what the text says. It's not at all what the text says. It says they died without inheriting the promise because, because God had something better for us. So, Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Jacob, Joseph, Moses. They're all there in chapter 11. All of these people were were intentionally kept from receiving God's full inherited promise. Specifically, to benefit you at Cedarview Community Church. That's what this verse quite strangely and quite amazingly says. Think about that. God God withheld blessing from Abraham to benefit Chris Mix and Eileen Critch and Don Horvath. God withheld a blessing from Moses to bless us. that's true, what's it talking about? How does this work? How are you and I benefited by these great heroes of faith dying without receiving the object of their trust? How does their loss become my gain? I want to say this morning that I think the text gives two answers to that question. So we're going to consider the first answer from the last part of verse 40. And then we're going to consider the second answer from the first part of verse 40. Is that too confusing? Okay, good. First, if all of those heroes of faith listed in chapter 11, if they all received the full fruit of God's promise to them, including the coming Messiah. If they all received that immediately, way back then, those thousands of years ago, you and I would be lost. That's what those difficult words in the last half of verse 40 mean. That apart from us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. 
Here's what we know about all those saints who lived before Christ. Okay? We know from our present series, Working Through Hebrews, that the full consummation of their redemption was accomplished immediately after the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. We know that. We know the Apostle Paul writes of a time when there were only 500 people who remained as living witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. What if Christ had returned? Just imagine. What if Christ had returned to wrap up his kingdom right at that time while those 500 people were still alive? The second coming, eternal state, all of that. What if it were all done then? What I'm really asking is what would have become of you and what would have become of me? All of those heroes of faith praised in Hebrews 11 would have experienced their final reward. The object of all those promises, the full inheritance of God's promised redemption and deliverance, but, but we would be outside of it. It would be done. They would have been made perfect, but it would have been apart from us. You see that phrase? That's exactly what verse 40 says God didn't want to do. He didn't want them to be made perfect apart from us. So that, it's right there. I guess I've got that all messed up, don't I? Just a sec. Right here. That apart from us, they should not be made perfect. God didn't want to do it that way. God didn't want to make them perfect apart from us. He wanted to make them perfect with us. If that sounds a bit strange, we need to remind ourselves that this is still, this is still the meaning of God's delay of the, the full manifestation of his promised redemption and inheritance. The plan still hasn't changed. He's still waiting. He hasn't delivered the full inheritance of the promises of redemption to this day. He's still allowing all sorts of good, wonderful, believing, faithful Christians to come on the scene, pass off the scene, win others to Christ. And he still does it for the very same reason. Here's the, here's the same reason spelled out. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They're going to say... Where's the promise of his coming? This has been promised for so long. For ever since the fathers, you know who the fathers are? It's those people in Hebrews 11, right? It's exactly who those fathers are. Ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were. You can go back, back before Hebrews 11. Go back to Adam and Eve. Why? The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. We talk a lot about the wrath of God. So does the Bible. But the Bible also talks a lot about his patience. 
patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So I said there were two ways that the delayed inheritance of these Old Testament saints was for our good. First, he doesn't want them being made perfect without us. He wants them being made perfect with us altogether. That's reason number one. Here's the other. And it's explained in the first part of verse 40. But we'll get a, we'll get a running start in 39. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. This is the part we looked at. Since God had provided something better for us. This is amazing news. God's plan from the very beginning was to, to, to use the, the unfulfillment of their faith to provide something better for us. They did not receive, and that was going to be good for us. These people, we're going to look at some of them in a minute. Hebrews 11. This text says, verse 40 says, that these people are going to be a ready help for you next month. What do you do for a living? Where are you going to be next month? And then February. And then March. Our writer is saying, God specifically didn't give all these people what was promised because you're going to need their story. Here's how that's providing something better for us. If we didn't have their example of uphill faith, then we'd be more conditioned to confusion, uh, discouragement, and disillusionment when we don't experience the reward for our faith. That's what he's saying. We would immediately assume that God was being unfair with us unless we knew about Moses and Enoch and Sarah and Abraham. We will, we will make rash, wrong judgments about God if we don't remember that these people didn't inherit their promised future. We'd assume we must not be spiritual enough to qualify. Somehow we missed it. We fell short. And, and God knew we'd find ourselves up against it over and over again in 2018. But we have something better than Moses ever had. We have something better than Abraham had. Here's what we have that they didn't. We have their example. They didn't have their example. They were in it. We now know that nobody receives the full inheritance of their faith in this life. We know everyone has always had to wait with patient endurance. We know that trials are not an evidence of lack of divine love. Something else in that. God also allows, in the very same way, and for the very same reason, God allows me 
to scrape through seasons of trial and pain and confusion in this life. He allows me to experience abusive treatment, sometimes unjust, from other people. And he does it for the very same reason. He does it so that other people who watch me will find hope and ruggedness and perseverance in my faith, just like I'm finding it in Abraham and Moses. So those are the two reasons. He doesn't want to make them perfect without us. He wants to make them perfect with us. Secondly, he has something better than just giving us everything we feel we need. He wants us to have the example of other great men and women of faith who had to wait through times of perseverance and trial because you're going to face the same thing and you'll need their example. Those are the two reasons. Now we're ready to find something even more precious. And if you're visiting with us this morning, please don't panic. This, our church is used to it. Point number one. We're well over halfway down. I want to look at that phrase. Now, in chapter 12, verse 1, we come to the familiar words. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. And, and the context tells us that these words point back to chapter 11. Those people listed who faithfully ran the same race. The text does not say these people are watching us. They're not witnesses in that sense. In, in fact, just the opposite. We are to be watching them. We are setting our attention on them. Because they are reliable witnesses to what genuine faith looks like. So we're to give them our attention. We're not to forget their lessons of faith. So I want to look now at a few of these people. Won't take long. See a portion of your own experience in each one of them. And remember that against all odds, they all finish the race. Noah. Verse 7. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen. In reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, by this, he condemned the world. I want to look at that phrase. And became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Noah is the picture of a man committed to, to staying with an assignment from God. Against all odds, facing constant ridicule, he did it for years building that ark. It wasn't a weekend. People got walking by and saw Noah getting older and older building this ark and they ridiculed him. There was every reason in the world for Noah to conclude that God's promise wasn't going to happen. Am I right? 
every reason in the world for him to conclude that God's promise was never going to happen. He had so little to go on. He had so little to encourage his confidence in God. Did his wife believe him? Did his kids believe him? And we're specifically told, here we are, bumping into 2018. I don't know what it holds for you. Here's what I know. You're called to follow Jesus. That's what I know. You're called to reach the lost. You're called to sacrifice for his kingdom. You're called to a life of holiness and separation from the world. I know you are called to that. Look at Noah. Here's his assignment. And if you're going to quit every time you get up in a bad mood, or every time some small-minded person ridicules you, or every time you're not thanked for what you do in the church, or every time the devil tells you to give up, you will never make it. In fact, our text says Noah's faith condemned the world. That doesn't mean Noah hated the world or cursed the world. It doesn't mean he lived on some other planet. It, here's what it means. It means that everyone could look at the outward actions of Noah... And they could instantly see that Noah's priorities were totally different to theirs. Right? It was easily observable. Everybody that walked by Noah knew that he was dedicated to something that they weren't dedicated to. He stuck out. Are you like that? Are you like that at work? Do you blend in? Are you like everybody else at your job? Or your university class. Or your circle of friends. Do you blend in? Or do you stick out? No one could help but notice the contrast between Noah's undistracted faith and their obsession with temporary trivialities. No one could miss it. Noah just makes me ask the question on where does your outward life not your beliefs not your religious creed my observable actions where do those actions make the lifestyle of this world around me look short-sighted and empty of ultimate meaning and hope where what what about my life would make those people reach that conclusion oh there must be something tremendously more important than acquiring wealth. Look at so-and-so. Abraham, in verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called out to go to a place to receive as an inheritance. Here's what he did. He obeyed. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Sorry, not knowing where he was going. Do you you go through seasons in your walk with God trying to do the best you can? But not knowing for sure how it's all going to end up? 
Do you ever feel uncertain about why God is taking you down the path you're on? Do you you continue to obey when there's no immediate earthly reward for obeying? Remember Abraham. It's, It's the central feature of his life. He set out in obedience on a course, not seeing the whole picture, not understanding the goal, not knowing the reason, and he, and he kept following in obedience when he couldn't see what God was doing. And we're told to look at that witness. When you're tempted to doubt God's plan, when you can't trace his hand on your life, Abraham is a good witness to consider. Let's look at his wife, Sarah. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. I don't mean to be funny. Do you ever feel God is calling you to give birth to something that you can't produce. Do you ever feel called to a task that is beyond your immediate ability and resource? I wonder how many people are sitting here this morning who had some goal in mind for this past year, something they really wanted to accomplish, felt the Lord calling them to something and failed. And now, right on the doorstep of this next year, you, you, you no longer believe it's even possible that it's going to be different this year. Is that you? And the writer says, look at, remember Sarah. Do you know what Sarah did when the angel came and spoke? And she was kind of in the distance a bit, and the angel said, you're going you're gonna to have a son. You know what Sarah did? She did what all great women of faith do when God promises. She laughed. Isaac. Isaac in the Hebrew means laughter. Now you're on the doorstep of this next year and you don't believe things can be different. You think unfruitfulness is just kind of in your spiritual genes. Or, or maybe you don't think you qualify as a person of great faith. You failed in some way. You don't deserve anything from God. And the writer of Hebrews says, as you run this race of faith, crack open your Bible, look at Sarah. She was promised fruitfulness when all she could see was barrenness. And nothing but barrenness seemed even remotely possible. Joseph. Look at Joseph. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites. He gave direction. Take my bones with you. Do not leave my bones in Egypt. Long ago, long ago, Long before Joseph, God had promised 
Abraham that his descendants would be taken into Egyptian captivity and they would be taken there for about 400 years. And somehow Joseph knew about that promise. Note, nothing, nothing happened to Joseph that would even hint of that promise being fulfilled. Joseph faces death and the, the, the yoke, the, the bar of Egyptian captivity is as tight and intolerant and painful as it ever was. And in the face of nothing but certain death and continued bondage, Joseph believed that, you know what? Nothing's going to stop God from keeping his promise. Nothing is going to stop God from keeping his promise. And when you go, and you're going to go, just pack up my bones, I don't care, put them in a box, and take them with you. I want to just talk about this just for a minute more, because there's something beautiful in the way Joseph, in this Old Testament limited sense, I know it's not the same, but, but somehow grasping that God's plan is not thwarted by death. I'm just reminded of Paul's words. There's so much more glory in these words. For I am sure that, and notice what he starts with. There it is, folks. Because that one stares us in the face. You may never see an angel. You may not have much to do with rulers. This you'll find out about. I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to, and I want to talk about these words, separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Please don't miss the logic of that last little phrase. Nothing will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. It's not just that, that I will die if I'm faithful. I will die still loving God, not having renounced him. And it's not just that God will always remember Don Horbin with loving thoughts. No. The issue here is that word. Say it. Separate. Separation. There will never be separation between my Lord and I. It's not just that I will still die loving God. It's, it's the relationship of love between me and the Lord. Is an unending relationship. The relationship of love is unending. The living relationship. The conscious relationship relationship that I have with the Lord is permanent. It remains warm and living and conscious even after death. It, it, it doesn't terminate. In a world where it looks as though death changes everything in, in God's plan, it doesn't end anything. Moses. Sorry, wrong text. 
By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, remember Moses putting that little basket, loaded down the water, grew up in Pharaoh's household, gets all the perks, all the benefits, the lifestyle. But when he was grown up, refused, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He wasn't really, but he was known as that because she had raised him. He says, no, that's not my identity. Choosing, rather, to be mistreated with the people of God than enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. He, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking to the reward. So by faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Note, note, that, note that 26th verse. He, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than, than the treasures of Egypt. And he knew about the treasures of Egypt. So, so here's what I learned. Faith grows because it is constantly considering. Faith, faith doesn't just declare certain, I believe in the shed blood of Jesus. I believe in the truth of God's word. I believe in the resurrection. I believe in the second coming. Those are just declarations. You can teach a, a budgie to say those things. No. Faith, real faith, is constantly, it's constantly comparing treasures. It's, it, faith grows by displacing false objects of desire with richer ones. That's different from reciting the things you say you believe. You, this, is, this is the great disease of the church. This is the great disease of the church. That there are, there are people in this room and you can recite all the things that you believe. You can declare all the things that you hold as true. But your heart is fastened to something else. And nothing will make your faith seem anemic and phony. Than declarations of belief. With a heart that's drawn in another direction. Here's what Moses did. He considered all that he had in God's promise. Greater wealth. He grew up in Egypt. He ate the best food. He lived in the finest places. He wasn't out there when they were baking bricks and then bricks without straw. Moses wasn't out there doing that. He didn't have to. He got the best education, read the best books, had the most leisure time, took the best trips, had big plans for retirement. And he, and, and he by faith, he considered, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. No. Being God's man, being committed to him, 
That's greater wealth than all of this. Do you know how many Christians don't do that? They, they blither what they believe. Oh, I believe in God's word. I believe in the Trinity. I believe in second coming. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I, b- I believe, I believe, I believe. And their heart is anchored to stuff that they see and have. This considering. You're going to have to do that every day in 2018. Our hearts are drawn to this world magnetically. And you will have to every day you get out of bed. Did you do it this Christmas? Like, I know you believe it, but did you do it? Did you take all the things you got this Christmas and go, oh, rubbish. Rubbish compared to what I have in Christ. Rubbish. That's Moses. You have to specifically say it. If I look more to this world than the next, I won't make it to the finish line. All right, last point. Point number two, and this is only two pages in my notes. Let us also lay aside every weight. This is the last part of the first verse of chapter 12. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Clings so closely. And and let us run. How are you going to follow Jesus this year? Are you going to slog around to church when you're not too tired and, you know, get, get through a few chapters of the Bible and then give up halfway through the year? Or are you going to run? Let us run with endurance the race that is set before you. A couple of phrases. The, the sin which clings so closely is, is uh, anything that keeps you from running flat out. In other words, it doesn't have to be something desperately immoral. Anything becomes sinful when it when it hinders my capacity to run full out after Christ. Anything that dulls the appetite. That's why these things are called sins which cling so closely. They're the hardest to deal with because they're the hardest to come to terms with as sinful and they're the hardest to repent of. They're the things everyone does. They're the things that are close to us. They feel as though they're germane to what we're all about. They feel like just temperament. They feel like noble ambitions and goals. They're the environment of our culture. They're the things everyone does. They're the things no one can live without. Are you going to attempt to follow Christ all year 2018, dragging those things with you? Or are you going to run? I love that. I can't run like I used to. But I see people... Sometimes when my wife and I are out walking, I'll see somebody that has one of those, you know, 19-year-old bodies, especially in the summertime, and they're all in their running gear, and they just go flying by. I can't do it physically. I want to do that after Christ. I want to do that after Christ in 2018. 
All of these things, he says, just lay them aside. The things you can't think, you think you can't live without, are you going to start tithing? The things you think you can't live without, lay them aside. There are parts of my life that feel too precious and too essential for my joy to, to just fall off like dead leaves. Do you have bushes and trees and shrubs around your house and you notice how there's no leaves on them? You didn't have to go out and blow them off with a blower. They just fall off. But these things are never going to just fall off my life. And we can't race after Christ without sacrificing much that feels precious. One day, John says, we'll see Jesus and these clingy sins will just drop off because we will see him as he is. Do you ever wonder why? Why at that moment? Why is it that John specifically says it's, and, and we're done. John specifically says that it's when we see Jesus, we will be like him. Finally, what, what is it about seeing Jesus that will make me like him? And I'll tell you what I think it is. In a way that is too hard for me to see right now. When I see Jesus, and I see all of this, Whatever I've, whatever I've piled up and accumulated and accomplished. Oh, I know right now, I, we still sing songs about denying all. We still sing songs about sacrificing all. I, we still sing about it, but we don't do it yet. But when we see Jesus, he comes, his kingdom, his person, his power, his majesty. We're going to look around at everything. We're going to go, what in the world was I thinking? What was I thinking? And it's hold will finally be broken on my life. And what this text is saying, start <laughs> laying aside these things. Anything that keeps you from running. So here we come. Ready or not. Next year, January 1. And when it comes to following Jesus, church, church, remember these examples. Read about them all year long. But... Tomorrow, hit the ground running for Christ. And everyone said...